There is a kind of depression that isn't captured by modern pharmaceutical commercials. It strikes when you wake up one morning and begin to wonder, what's the point? Get up, bathe, go to work, come home, eat dinner, settle into the most recent Netflix craze, sleep, repeat. It's not necessarily sadness, but monotony. From days to weeks to months, even years, you begin to wonder what difference does it make? What difference have I made? Amidst this existential depression, one begins to feel like a cog in an expansive machine. About now you face the harsh reality that this machine has been operating since before you were born and will go on long beyond your years. You begin to question your significance and the answer becomes increasingly inconsequential. One returns to the harrowingly pragmatic refrain, what's the point? What difference does it make? What difference have I made? What have I done? My mind recently became entrapped in this capitalistic death spiral. I reached out to a fellow member here at the fellowship and she quickly broke the trance. She challenged me, Alex, what if instead of defining ourselves by what we do, we instead define ourselves by who we are? An interesting question. Who am I? There's a breathtaking complexity to the question as three simple words simultaneously create a sense of hope and wonder. Life suddenly becomes more than a machine, but instead a tapestry. Instead of a cog, I see myself as a thread intricately woven into a magnificent masterpiece. Strands of myself become interwoven into a greater, more beautiful story. Personally, I'm a listener, writer, and a storyteller. I'm a coffee drinker, midnight thinker, and among unanswerable questions is where I like to tinker. I am driven by an unquenchable thirst for justice, equality, and peace. I am understanding, compassionate, tolerant. I am a believer in the strength and resilience of the human spirit. I believe in and respect the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. I am a work in progress. An adventurer on a journey with none but the stars and my imagination to guide me. These things cannot be quantified or calculated. They cannot be accounted for on a profit and loss statement and for better or worse, not itemized on my tax return. <laughs> Yet these are the very assets by which I seek to make the world a better place. Every time I return here to the fellowship, I discover more, more questions, ponderings and curiosities more of myself in this mysterious tapestry that is life. In this space, we are free from the cog of monotonous life as we know it. Here we can challenge ourselves and peers to be more than just a gear in the machine, but instead use who we are as a tool for positive change. Thank you so much, Alex, for sharing of yourself with us this morning and thank you to our choir, right? I, right, thank you. 
about a week ago, I was leaving my apartment building and there was a duck in one of the planters outside the building door. The moment that I stepped out, she got scared, she flew off, and I saw out of the corner of my eye that she had made a bit of a, a crater in the dirt of the planter. So I went over and I, I peeked in and I saw one perfect egg in that crater. My heart warmed at the site. It was perfect timing because not long before I had just preached from this very pulpit about the promise of new life during our Easter service. And there it was, right in front of me, new life right there. Now this mama duck has laid a new egg in that planter every day since then. We're up to six eggs. It might be seven. I don't know. When I left the building this morning, she was there on the planter. I tried to sneak by without scaring her off. So she might be working hard on another one, perhaps. Peering over into that planter to check on those eggs has become one of the highlights of my days lately. Every morning, I take a picture. I text egg updates to my family and to Cindy, our fellowship secretary, all of whom are following this whole saga along with me. And it's the talk of our building. Justin and I have lived where we are since August, and yet we don't know a lot of our neighbors. Many of them we've never even spoken to. But now, all of us neighbors will see each other and we'll go, have you seen the eggs? <laughs> it's such a sweet point of connection. Mama Duck and her eggs have brought us together, all of us feeling responsible for keeping an eye on them and protecting them, making sure they're safe. The eggs have been an invitation to pay attention. All too often when I leave my building, I'm, I'm rushing off somewhere rushing off to run an errand, to go to an appointment, to get to work. Many times my head is down looking at my phone as I head out the door, I'm sending a text message or checking my email. But here, I've been given, gifted even, an invitation to pay attention. There's so much out there vying for our time and for our attention these days, right? We're being pulled in so many different directions. We've got employers that want our focus to be on our work and the labor that we're producing. We've, we've got stores and restaurants that want our focus to be on spending money. Just drive down Calumet, you'll see them all. We've got websites and screens and tech, well, we've got websites and tech companies who want our focus to be on our screens so that they can accrue clicks and likes and data and ad revenue. We're told that we should constantly be doing stuff, be productive and useful to people who have power. We're lured into buying stuff, watching stuff, scrolling through content, 
We're consuming all the time. There's so much out there designed to draw us into this, this cycle, the cycle of producing and consuming, producing and consuming, producing and consuming. And we're sent the messages that, that this is normal. This is what life is. As Alex talked about before, it can be so easy to feel like a cog in a machine. A machine that has been conjured up to turn us into commodities. But then there are invitations to pay attention. Those moments when our attention falls on something real, something that exists outside of that machine, a nest of duck eggs. The beauty and miracle that is new life right there in front of us. Something that feels so real and true and important and profound. And we slow down. And we step back. And we breathe in. It's exciting and invigorating and deeply grounding. I ask you this, what spaces are left in our world today for paying attention in this way? What spaces are left in our world today for paying attention in this way? What spaces are there where we are called to be in direct experience with something so real, something outside of that machine of production and consumption, production and consumption, something instead that is so eternally true, something life-giving? Tell me, where are these spaces? I want to know. I'm curious. Spaces where our being, our existence, does not come at a price. Spaces where no transaction is expected. Spaces that exist outside that capitalist cycle of producing and consuming. Spaces that answer to a higher and more expansive purpose than the ones that corporations are selling to us. Spaces where the whole point is for us to live into our full potential as embodiments of connection and love. Where are these spaces? I've come up with three spaces that I can think of that are like this, that exist today. Each of them offering something special and different. And if you have more ideas, I would love to hear about it in conversations. 
after the service. The first that comes to mind is obviously nature. Being present to nature is an invitation to pay attention. A nest of duck eggs. A worm on the sidewalk after a rain. A tree whose glorious blooms only appear each spring for a short period of time. A cardinal in the window. Is he there? No? Keep an eye out for him. Let me know. All of these invitations to pay attention, to step outside the machine. The second space I can think of like this is public libraries, right? A space with no agenda other than the free pursuit of knowledge. A place where you're not expected to spend any money. A, a place that lifts up the sacred practice of storytelling. I know we've got a few librarians and former librarians here. And I thank you for being stewards of these important spaces. The third space that comes to mind I think you can, you can feel it coming. I'm a minister on a Sunday morning. The third space that comes to mind is our faith communities. I know, I'm a minister. I'm supposed to say this, but boy, do I mean it. I mean it, folks. I do. Granted, there are certain church communities that have assimilated to that machine that we're talking about. Certain church communities where their glossy, shiny messages serve to prop up an empire rather than to resist it. There are those communities. But churches, temples, mosques, gudwaras, fellowships, they are all unique spaces in their deep potential for resistance. Spaces to step out of the machine. Spaces that invite us to pay attention. Friends, I tell you, what we do here is special. And it is unmatched by any other space in our lives. I love both of our readings that we heard this morning earlier in the service. The first from Unitarian Minister... A. Powell Davies, who, heard, who we heard talk about how church holds him accountable. Accountable to living with depth and meaning. Accountable to his values. He speaks of how church reminds him of the possibilities for human nature and for community. In the second reading we heard from Mennonite minister, Melissa Flora Bixler, she points out that in our faith communities, we take time. We take it. I love that. Here at the fellowship, time is not money. 
Time is not productivity. Time instead is ours to take, to fill or not fill in ways that are enriching and soul-stirring, life-giving, resistance-building, nourishing, honoring. Yesterday, here at the fellowship, we had a beautiful memorial service for our beloved Eve Rosera, a member of this congregation and our former religious education assistant. What a way to take time, take time to gather, to grieve together, to remember someone special, to tell stories, to honor life, to face the bigness of death, to do it together. None of this would be considered productive or useful by capitalist standards. And isn't that a part of what makes this so meaningful, so profound? Gathering in this way, for this kind of purpose, it's an invitation to pay attention, to remember what is real, to remember what is important, what transcends that that machine that dominates the rest of our daily lives. Yesterday, before Eve's service, I was talking with a fellowship member, Tom Pinenberg. He was here for the service. He told me, you know, I didn't know Eve all that well, but I sure do love the fellowship. And I'm glad I can be here for this community right now. Sit with that a minute. His comments remind me of how before churches were a thing, back in the days of ancient Greco-Roman world, there was nothing like a congregation, nothing that resembled a church or a faith community as we know it today. Things looked a lot different. But there were funeral societies. In a way, these funeral societies were ancient ancestors of what then later became the Christian church. They were voluntary associations, groups that people would choose to be a part of. And, and much of what they were concerned with was providing appropriate burials for their members. You see, the empire of the time did not care about honoring the dead in this way. The dead had no use to the empire. It was the people who had to come together in community to do this for each other. And so they did. 
It was a choice that they made. That's beautiful to think about, isn't it? I mean, even if all the fellowship did was funerals, what a profoundly beautiful thing for a community to do for each other. Where else does a community like that exist but in faith communities? Where else? There was a really great Facebook post that was shared in ministry circles last fall. It was from a Portland Christian minister named Sharad Yadav. And I don't know anything about him or about his ministry, but I did really appreciate his post where he shared his 10 reasons to join a church. I'm going to share all 10 with you, so bear with me and apologize ahead of time for some of the language. He said, As I try to remember why the hell I do this for a living, here's a handful of reasons, dear friends, to consider joining a church. One, to join a church is to commit to a social circle you do not get to choose and can therefore show you whether your spirituality is bullshit or not. Two, joining a church is a way of practicing among a small group of people over a significant period of time what you would like the world to be like. Three, to join a church is to live in rebellion against the neoliberal capitalist forces which are brainwashing you into making your consumer desire the center of the world, reducing all of your experiences of the world, including the people in it, reducing them to instruments and resources. Four, joining a church is to organize your life around a time to confess your limitations, culpability, and imperfections together with other people so that you can get used to receiving divine forgiveness and hope in response to your honesty. Five. To join a church is to resist all traditional loyalties to state, party, culture, family, or affinity group in an act of loyalty to a group that transcends all natural categories. Six, joining a church organizes your financial priorities around supporting an inclusive community for vulnerable people, people that you actually have to live with. Seven, to join a church is to cultivate an environment unlike your home, work, or play, where your life is not measured according to any other purpose or goal than to discover and enjoy your own humanity. Eight, Joining a church is a way of maintaining healthy skepticism about human knowledge and capacities, 
in the language of divine mystery. Nine. To join a church is to cultivate an imagination for how your unique talents and creative potential can be offered on purpose for love instead of money. Ten. Joining a church is a life lesson in how to deal with assholes <laughs> without retaliating dehumanizing, or running away in the desperate hope of not becoming an asshole. What fantastic reminders of what we're doing here, right? Why it's valuable. Earlier in the service, we heard Melissa Flora Bixler say, I doubt we could make a good case to wealthy donors for the reason for our existence. It's true. Everything on that list we just read is countercultural, resistant to the norms that we've become so accustomed to in the rest of our lives. And also, doesn't that make it all the more important for this to be a place where we invest ourselves? A place where we put our time, our money, our talent, our energy. This place of community where we open ourselves up to be transformed by each other and by our values. This place where we are called to turn toward our moral and spiritual ideals. This place where we have the chance to reach for the highest of aspirations. Aspirations for our spirits. Aspirations for how we should be together in community. The possibility of what the world could look like the possibility of what the world could be like. This place that holds us accountable to those aspirations. This place that reminds us to pay attention. This place that calls us out of the machine. Yes, a faith community is a special and important place in all these ways. And have to tell you, dear ones, this fellowship specifically, this one in particular, is an exceptionally special and important place. What a blessing it has been to serve here these past two years. This community that has opened itself up to me with such grace, such hospitality. You have welcomed me into your pulpit. You have welcomed me into your homes. You have welcomed me into your hospital rooms. 
You have challenged me to grow. You have encouraged me. You have embraced me in my own times of personal grief and struggle. You have shared joy with me. I am so grateful. For this entire congregation, I am grateful. For Reverend Christina, who has been a remarkable mentor and endless support, I am grateful. For our amazing staff and lay leaders, I am grateful. No thanks I can offer you will ever truly cover how impactful my time here at the fellowship has been. My prayer is that you will trust in the power and the potential of what is here among you. Continue to be this important space for each other and lean into it more and more and more. Showing up for this community in all of those meaningful ways. Embodying that call to pay attention. To step outside the machine. To care for each other. Embrace all the goodness and importance and meaning and possibility that this space is and can be. Do it with your whole heart. Do it with the thrust of your full self. Invest yourself here and trust the transformation that that will bring. The world needs spaces like this, dear ones. We need spaces like this. May it be so, and amen. <laughs>